Driving that coach. 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 And welcome to another edition of Dropping That Culture with JD and AJ. I'm JD. And I'm AJ. All right. So welcome to another fucked up week here in 2020. We were just actually just discussing that right before we started this podcast. Um, we really hope you folks are, you know, living life as best you can right now. Because like I said, the world is really screwy in all, in all different aspects of it. And we all hope you all out there being safe and, you know what I'm saying, Loving your fellow man at this point. You can't get close to your fellow man, but please love your fellow man, you know. Uh, but uh, like I said, we just really hope you're all being safe. And we really hope, thank you all for your continued support of our podcast. Uh, like I said, all the people out there listening, uh, we really thank you for, like, uh, you know what I'm saying, this is like, this, this is a beautiful thing for us. You know what I'm saying? This right here is a on-screen thing of racial harmony. You know, black and white dudes talk about comedy and uh, pop culture bullshit. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's kind of what it is right now. You know what I'm saying? So, and uh, really hope everybody is enjoying themselves and hope everybody's being safe. Uh, the subject matter for this particular week is going to be a very interesting one. That one the one that really intrigues me. I'm, I'm educating AJ on it as well. Uh, but I, folks, I hope the folks will love it. But let's go ahead and get into uh, the typical stuff that we have for our particular podcast. First off, Seven Degrees of Eddie Murphy, where I can connect uh, any major fi- American film star to the great Eddie Murphy within seven films. <laughs> All right, so starting off this week, Jason Clark. It's a deep dive. Jason Clark. Mm-hmm. Uh, Did you get you started? Yeah, yeah, get me started. Get me started. Pet Cemetery remake. Uh, he was also in uh, Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. He's also in The Great Gatsby. He's George Wilson. Oh, okay, okay. The DiCaprio. Yeah. DiCaprio, Great Gatsby. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll go that route. Okay, so Jason Clark, where the fuck that is, was in The Great Gatsby with. Uh, with uh, Tobey Maguire. Tobey Maguire was in Tropic Thunder with Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. was in both in Red America. You know, to back it up just a little bit, Tobey Maguire was also in Great, Great, Great Gatsby with Jason Clark, so you could have just done it straight off, off of uh, Tobey. Yeah, you could have just did just Tobey Maguire. That would have about it. Yeah, you could have just did that. This is this is the one I'm trying to trying to get you on this week. So going a little bit deeper again, Donald Sutherland. That's not that hard at all. Donald Sutherland? Mm-hmm. That's not that hard at all. Donald Sutherland was in Animal House with John Belushi. John Belushi was in fucking Blues Brothers with Dan Acker or Dan Acker was in Trading Places with Dan Okay, now we're gonna go really deep. Okay. James Cagney. What? Did I get this one? If you're listening, uh, I, I think I might have, this might be Mandy Moore 2.0. <laughs> you should see the look on his face. James Cagney. 
Told you I was going to deep dive it. <laughs> Chaddy. Okay, James Chaddy. Let's see. All right, I, 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 I'm actually admitting right now I have to look up James Cagney. I don't know, I don't know a lot of James Cagney. What? Much. Come on, he's I a don't. classic. Yeah, I, I know, but still, I, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think. I think the last, God, I don't even know the last movie he was in was like, I think maybe, what was it, Ragtime or something? Like he he honestly I don't know the only one I know that he's in is like fucking Yankee Doodle Dan. Dude, he was the original Scarface, wasn't he? Yeah, he was the original Scarface. But let, let me see. Uh, classic. classic. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking. Uh, let's see. Yeah, ragtime. <laughs> I know. That's what I'm saying. You got to go back. Ah, found it. Okay. All right, so. <laughs> James Cagney. <laughs> uh, James Cagney was in Ragtime with a young Samuel L. Jackson. He oh. was in <laughs> Coming to America with Eddie Murphy. That's always the focal point, Sam Jackson. Sam Jackson is the nexus. It's like, it's like him and, uh, and Ben Stiller when it comes to connecting anybody in Hollywood. Those two guys have been in more movies. They just take all these small little roles all over the place. Yeah, they do. So, yeah, apparently uh, James Caney and Sam Jackson was in ragtime together. Weird. Insane. Yeah. All right, so we got out three. We got out three. Jason Clark. Why, why the fuck you keep that on? Uh, Jason Clark, Donald Sutherland, and James Caney. Those are three for So let's go ahead and go to the outro of uh, Eddie Murphy. That was another successful one for you. Yeah, that's cool. All right, now let's go to another big prompt here. WWBS. What will Busey say? Now let's go ahead and go to the intro of that one. Hey, this is Gary Busey talking to Gary Busey. What time is it, Gary? It's time for WWBS. What will Busey say? What are we talking about today, Gary? So, Busey, I would be very interested to, uh, to hear your thoughts on alien life. Are they real? Are they coming? Is it interdimensional? Is it interstellar? Is it, are they coming from somewhere deep inside the planet? What is Gary Busey's thoughts and feelings on the existence of extraterrestrial life? Uh, uh, alien life. What well, is my thoughts on alien life? Is it interdimensional or inter... Uh, extraterrestrial. Well, those are my thoughts on it. I think there's aliens. I think there's aliens inside us. I think we are literally progenitors of the aliens themselves. Like aliens came to this planet and propagated this planet. The aliens are inside us, man. They're all inside us. All the stuff you hear about werewolves and vampires and all the other crazy shit that you hear throughout the mythology, it came from somewhere. It's that alien nature inside human beings coming out. And it freaks somebody out so much that they had to tell other people about it. That's why I think aliens are from. We are the aliens. So we're out there looking for something that's smarter than us. Guess what, people? There isn't anything smarter than us. It's just us. We are the aliens. We are the next race. 
evolution is called upon through us. That's what's going to happen, people. Do I believe that there are flying saucers and shit like that out there? Yeah, possibly. I think of them as sort of like, uh, you know, like how uh, the fucking uh, people advocated from England and when came to America. That's kind of how the, those aliens are to us. Like, you know, we came from there, we found a new place, and now they're like, okay, what the fuck? Hey, what are these guys doing down there? Like, it seems like it seems pretty cool. You know, so they got like TV and they got they got Breaking Bad and shit like that. We ain't got that in our alien world. We don't. We really don't. So we got to come down here every once in a while, check them out. And uh, what's this thing they got called buttholes? It's interesting because we don't have buttholes. Let's check this thing out, man. That's where the probing comes from, bro. They probe because they don't have it. They don't get it. That's why they do it. Aliens, we are the aliens. Tiger blood. I'm doing fantastic. I'm Gary Busey. I'm doing great. Wait, so we are the aliens, but the aliens that are coming are aliens that don't have the aliens. Our buttholes we came from their world and they're jealous because of the fact that you know we got away <laughs> so they're like you know they got some cool shit down there let's check that out you know what I'm saying and of course you know they're envious us because we evolved to have buttholes so they don't have buttholes I mean I guess it's just nice to know it's not a sexually assaulty kind of a thing because no, kind of I didn't know if it was really for science or if they were Asserting some sort it's of confidence on us. It's not sexual assault. It's scientific curiosity. It's a fine line. Very fine line. <laughs> <laughs> There's a fine line between sexual assault and scientific curiosity. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I, I can always count on BC for. Uh, it's gonna be a fucking weird ride, and I love it. So, <laughs> thank you, Gary. I, I think that should be the best part of this episode. There's a fine line between sexual assault and scientific curiosity. <laughs> and we're canceled. Everybody's too overly fucking sensitive right now. But yeah. <laughs> All right. So that was uh, WWBS with uh, Mr. Gary Busey. Now we're going to get into another favorite segment here, Dropping That News. Go ahead and hit up that pump, AJ. Dropping That News. All right. So what do you got for us today in the news? Uh, unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, we've had some uh, recent deaths uh, in the Hollywood world, et cetera, et cetera. Let's go ahead and talk about a couple of them. Uh, first off would be... Uh, uh, hold on a second. Let's move I know. Uh, I don't know if we talked about when any. Uh, did we talk about Ennio Marconi when he passed? Yeah. So, uh, great composer Ennio Marconi passed away um, a couple weeks ago, actually. Um, and like I said, me and AJ were talking about all the great music that he's contributed to, you know, film throughout his entire career, particularly the you know the spaghetti westerns, the Clint Eastwood, the Sergio Leone films, or you know, Good, Bad, and Ugly. That's Ennio Marconi. You know what I'm saying? That shit. And uh, what's the other one? Uh, like my favorite, and the favorite of his recent ones, uh, The Thing. John Carpenter's The Thing. That is Ennio Marconi. Very simple, but very haunting. Yeah, boom. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, it, it was a very haunting thing, man. And uh, another favorite of mine, Wolf, 
which we've talked about on this podcast before during the Jack Nicholson episode yeah. and the Rick Baker episode, mainly because I love that movie. Uh, but he also did the score for that film, too. It was a very good score, very underrated score, if you ever get a chance to check it out. And of his recent work, which we've also talked about as well, Hateful Eight. Yeah. The score for Hateful Eight is basically unused music that he composed for the thing that Quentin Tarantino found and used for Hateful Eight. And funny enough, you know, Marconi won the Academy Award for it. He won the Academy Award for a score that he did 30 years prior. Well, you know, I, it's one of those things, too. I think it's, it's, uh, it's probably underrated with most people in our generation and people coming up under us. Um, I honestly can say it was something that uh, a, a large portion of, of my cohort seemed to kind of miss. And, and I think a big chunk of it is how big our program was back when I was in school and just how much experience you have, how much money you've got to pay for. But scoring a film it's really in a lot of ways becoming a dying and a lost art. I mean, you've, you've got the breakneck pace of which you put movies out today. Um, it doesn't really lend itself to what you'd normally have in, in, you know, traditional filmmaking where you actually develop a score around a theme. Right. So like one of the things that makes, you know, we roll it back about 10 years, you go look at dark Knight, Right. One of the things that made that score so great was that they were able to, Hans was able to spend Hans Zimmer spent all that time creating um, themes for each one of the characters, right? And so, you know, with, with the Joker, he has that thing where he's drawing out that note where it's, it's moving up or down in an octave for, it seems like, infinity. And that, that kind of stretching and drawing out creates these visceral moments. And that's, that's what we're talking about here. I mean, it's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of sad, I think, in a lot of ways that you just end up with. It's they're basically, you know, one of my teachers always used to say was, we're working ass backwards today where we, try to cut around the music uh, to make it work for our visual. And what you're supposed to do is go out and make your show, make your film, come back in with the music later. And this is, I mean, really in a lot of ways, it's emblematic of, um, I think, a death and an end of an era and that kind of scoring for filmmaking. It's really, really sad. So if you have a chance, sit down, watch, and really listen. Listen to those. And you'll notice there's a, there's a lot that was going on in the background that you didn't get probably the first, I don't know, for me, like the first couple dozen times I'd see like, you know, hang them high or something like that. You just, you miss it because it's, it's, it flows so seamlessly, but when you go back and you know what you're looking for, it really creates a new uh, appreciation for that massive amount of talent that he was bringing to the table. So it's a true loss in Hollywood for sure. Yeah. Uh, like I said, rest in peace, Ian Marconi. Also, rest in peace, Kelly Preston. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Kelly Preston, actress, and uh, Mrs. Well, basically for the last almost 30 years, Mrs. John Travolta. Uh, she passed away uh, this past week from cancer. Um, she, you know, she's been known for like many movies, particularly in the 80s, like movies like Mischief, where she did like a really great nude scene. And also, uh, the, mo the one I know about her the best is from her twins. Uh, with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito, she played Arnold's girl in that movie, and I, always, I thought she was, I always thought she was super sexy just in that movie. Uh, but yeah, she's done God knows how many things, and you know what I'm saying? Like, she's been kind of a fixture in the Hollywood alias for many, many years, particularly because of her husband. Um, but like I said, she's been she's been beloved by many people in the Hollywood community. Uh, always, always, uh, always touted as a very nice person. Uh, like I said, we really uh, 
prayers go out to Donna Volta and his family. He has to go to the sign right now because the fact she is mother of uh, several children with him. And, yeah. yeah, it's a hard thing, man. Like I, like I saw that, so I, I was not, I was not expecting this one at all. There's, there's been a, jeez, uh, about a half dozen that are really kind of shocking, kind of came out of nowhere for folks. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a shame. It is a shame. Uh, rest in peace, Kelly Preston. Also, again, another one. Rest in peace, uh, Naya Rivera uh, from Glee. Uh, she actually uh, passed away just a few days ago in, uh, at Lake Peru. She's out there swimming with her son. Uh, something happened where like, she actually saved her son's life, but couldn't save herself. And they, uh, like, they found the son in a raft by himself, and they were able to rescue the child. He was like four years old. Uh, but they couldn't find her, and it took several days for them to find her, and they finally found her body like two or three days ago. And yeah, she pronounced dead at age 33. I remember her specifically because she did a lot of like guest spots and TV shows back in the day. Like, I remember she did a guest spot as a little kid on uh, Family Matters, co-guest on Family Matters, I believe. Uh, and she also did like shows like Fresh Prince and things like that when she was a kid. And then, of course, she grew up and she became one of the stars of the, sh the show Glee on Fox. Um, and like I said, like a lot of people are sending their prayers out. People who are guests on uh, Glee, like Demi Lovato and, you know, uh, people like uh, Gwen Paltrow who are all guests on Glee. They're all like sending their condolences and all that. And like I said, it's crazy this past few weeks, man. So. Uh, rest in peace, Naya Rivera. Yeah. Yeah. Truly, truly tragic. Very, truly, very tragic week. We really ain't get down here, folks, but this is what's happening right now. Um, another thing, uh, turning to pop culture news, uh, Tia, uh, Tamara Mowry uh, from Tia and Tamara, Sister, Sister. Uh, recent years, she's been the whole, one of the co-hosts of The Real the talk show. Uh, she's now, she's actually been, she's going to leave the show due to an extreme pay cut that they wanted her to have. Uh, she's like, no, nah, I, I got to go. So, and uh, I, I very rarely watch that show, but when I do, I can see she's kind of like the the anchor of the show, because all the rest of the guests, all the other hosts are like real loud, very loud personality. She's kind of like the even, even tempered one kind of keeps the subject matter going along, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, um, it's going to be very hard for them to find somebody like that. Because, like I say, everybody else is loud as hell that, and kind of like, just kind of goes all over the place. So, yeah, they need to, they need to focus on those type of shows. So. Well, and I mean, you're going to, I think you're going to see a lot more shifts and possibly other people that are either going to have to take some big pay cuts or that they're going to start walking away from their shows. Um, you know, I mean, just a little bit of the inside, at least Los Angeles production. Um, you know, from what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing. Um, a good chunk of the production's not restarting in LA. Um, I think if you, uh, I'm just going to throw this out there. If you, uh, if you watch the bond companies, um, I wouldn't be surprised to see a bunch of, uh, clients coming in pretty soon. Um, cause this, this COVID mess is just making production where it can restart, um, ridiculously more expensive. Uh, I know a lot of guys that I hear that are, you know, farther down in seniority from uh, local 80, 33, 44, um, they're, they're not getting hours right now. And it's because they're having to restrict the amount of people that can be in any location at any time. They basically are, are cutting, um, occupancy in these massive sound stages. 
more than in half in most cases. Um, so you're talking, you know, uh, what would have been maybe a 20 guy crew, a 20 grip crew is now being cut down to, you know, maybe 10, if that. Um, and so just as a result, the budget's getting hammered, stuff's slowing down, it's getting weirder. They're having to do massive rewrites because people are getting weird. Like I'm sure you've seen, we talked about a little before about, you know, um, crowd scenes pretty much going away, restaurant scenes, anything that requires extras because it's, um, you know, it's too dangerous on the COVID side or people are worried about it. And then on the flip side, you also have, they don't want to do fight sequences as much. They don't want to do uh, any romantic scenes because they, they're trying to figure out how to keep people apart. And, you know, it's going to be weird to see how it shifts. You might end up with a bunch of uh, Charlie Rose TV shows by the time it's done where it's just two people sitting in, you know, basically nothing 10 feet apart having a conversation across the table but as they're trying to restart it it's uh it's definitely becoming problematic and in fact um i've heard of at least uh, at least a handful of productions that have decided they're done with la they're done with california for the time being so they're either moving to atlanta um i know there were some incentives being offered with how you do it if you go to the uk um and a couple other municipalities that are trying to take advantage of the uh, negative situation we've got here to allow for production to restart out there. So it's, you're going to, I mean, it, it's a real cost. So top line talent will either be asked to take a cut or the shows will have to go away. Cause there's just, there's only so much money and the, the studios aren't going to, aren't going to release any extra capital right now. They're all scared and hurting. They can't show anything in the theaters. Yeah. All right. So last little bit for dropping the news I'm going to have is a, uh, it's recently been announced that John Hamm is going to be starring in a reboot of Fletch. Uh, I said, uh, Fletch is actually one of my favorite 80s movies, definitely one of my favorite Chevy Chase movies. Uh, if you ever get a chance to see it, it's really, it's really good. The whole movie is about, basically about this investigative reporter out here in LA, and it's done in, you know, uh, first person narration where he's like solving crimes and different things of that nature. But he uses a lot of disguises and funny voices kind of get his point across or whatever. And Chevy Chase, of course, it was a, it was a role Taylor made for him. Uh, and, and now, you know, because in the age of the reboot, they want to see if they can uh, uh, drum up that old uh, uh, excitement for Fletch again. So they're using uh, John Hamm, who is known, known by most people from uh, Mad Men. But in recent years, it's been like really kind of going into the comedic route. Uh, uh, in terms of different projects you can do. They're actually pretty good in terms of comedic timing. So uh, we'll see how that goes, man. He's got, he's got great timing. Did you see the uh, the arc that he did on um, 30 Rock? No, I didn't. But uh, he did a couple things on uh, Adult Swim. And also, I think he was also in that movie Baby Driver. Uh, yeah, so... Baby Driver, he's not he's not really as comedic in that one. I mean, he's he's fine in it. Um, but the the whole point I was going to say, as far as Thirty Rock goes, um, you know, he uses because I mean, obviously part of the shtick with him coming off of Mad Men, the whole deal is that he's this like ridiculously kind of you know handsome regal guy and all, all that stuff. You know, he's the the alpha male, so to speak. Um, yeah. There's a goofiness that he's got that that's that's just below the surface that um, he really had a chance to showcase in 30 Rock. Um, mm -hmm. he, he's playing this relationship with, uh, with Tina Fey, where he's her boyfriend, and he's like, he's kind of just a goober. Like, he's constantly screwing stuff up, and he's kind of, he's, you know what he is? He's basically, uh, from that old Seinfeld line, he's a mimbo, right? He's a male bimbo. He's good. Oh, okay. He's kind of, kind of, you know, there's nothing there. Um, 
freaking hilarious. He's got solid comedic time, which I gotta say, even though I'm not generally a fan of the reboot, I'm interested. I'm interested. I want to see where this is going. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic in a way that I seldom am with reboots. There might be something there that's, I think it's brilliant casting. So, you know, I'll withhold final judgment until the final product's out, but I think this could be good. I think you may actually like it. Yeah. I mean, I know it's- All right, folks, so that has been dropping that week. What, what? Whoa, 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 whoa. There was, there was one other piece of news that, that I saw. Um, I, I don't know if it was on Belserverse or not, but there's an actor I follow who I believe- was oh, what was that? Did you hear me? Yeah, uh, say it again. I said, there's, there's an actor I follow. He's up and coming, and I, I think I saw he booked something recently. Did you, you know anything? Oh, man, yeah, I love that shit. Okay, so, uh, <laughs> all right, folks, so um, what AJ is referring to was I actually just booked a commercial for this uh, yesterday, actually. I was going to be shooting uh, in Vegas. I can't say for what show it is. Thank you, thank you very much, sir. I can't say for exactly what show it is, but uh, the general premise of the script that I received is that I'm going to be encountering some ghosts for the commercial. So I'm looking forward to that. And from what I'm seeing, I can't say what they're going to have me doing. It was pretty cool. So I'm actually, I'm actually uh, enjoying, I'm actually looking forward to that, man. And, um, thank you, AJ, for bringing that up. I, I didn't want to just like come out there and say, oh, well, you know, I got this gig, you know, all the bullshit. As much bad news as there is, we can all use some good news. And as per usual, as soon as it's released and we can put it somewhere, we'll make sure it goes on all the Facebook pages. I'm sure you'll put it on Bills or we'll put it on uh, Dropping That Culture and everything. Uh, yeah. you know, oh, man. Good news for one of us is good news for both of us. So let's, uh, let's keep, keep it rolling and keep sharing with the people uh, the positive stuff we got because – Shit, man, this was a downer. <laughs> this was a downer news episode. There's a lot of dead people. Yeah, well, okay, yeah, so that's what's going on right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, well, I'm happy we were able. To thank you for bringing it back up to high note because that's all we had was just downer shit. Um, but again, uh, that has been dropping that culture. Oh, uh, dropping that news. Excuse me. All right, folks, let's get to the meat and potatoes of this. Potato. Uh, the subject matter that I picked for this show this week is something that AJ himself is actually learning. Uh, it's a subject that I have been quite fond of for years, and I, I find it to be one of the more interesting aspects of comics and pop culture in general. Uh, what I like to call it is I basically uh, entitled this The Saga of Captain Marvel. Can you, now, for can those of you not aware of that character... Hold on, can you, repeat, can you repeat the title? Because it cut out. Okay, All right, I'll repeat the title one more time. The Saga of Captain Marvel. How was that? Perfect. Crystal clear. Good. Okay. So what I was saying was uh, this particular character uh, has been broadcast off of both DC and Marvel Comics. The name has been shared throughout the comic book universe. Uh, but like this is, it's so many weird aspects to this thing that I just, I've always found it fascinating. And like I said, like AJ himself is learning about it himself right now as we're recording this. So I'm um, going to go ahead and get into it. Now, most of the information that I got for this particular 
story is actually from a series of articles that I did for a uh, comic book, uh, pop culture website called GodHatesGeeks.com. And I did a series on Captain Marvel a uh, couple, well, basically last year. Um, got a very good response. Uh, really kind of kick-started things for me on uh, God Hates Geeks to the point where I actually have my own section on that website now because of the different articles I'll put out there. But the first one that started this whole thing off was looking into Captain Marvel. Now, as far as how I first became acquainted with the character, uh, now keep in mind is I'm going to talk about two different versions of the character for this particular article. The first one I'm going to talk about is the one that's being published currently by DC Comics, on the one that's entitled Shazam. Uh, that's the one that kind of everybody knows right now. And then there's the other one that's done by Marvel, Marvel Comics, and they recently just did a film with them, Marvel Studios. That one actually just named Captain Marvel, the female version. But there's more to it than just that. Now, we're going to go ahead and start with the first version, which is the Shazam version. And that character actually debuted in 1941. So he's basically about as old as Batman and Superman. He's really, he's, he's been around forever, you know what I'm saying? So my first introduction to that character was a comic book that they had called Marvel vs. DC in like 1996. Uh, what they did is they basically had this like storyline where they pitted the Marvel characters versus the DC characters in grudge matches to see which is the superior brain. And they had matchups like uh, Hulk versus Superman, Batman versus Captain America, Wonder Woman versus Storm from the X-Men, and one of the ones I liked was Thor versus Captain Marvel. Uh, uh, mainly because of the fact that I like the look of Captain Marvel. I looked at the character and I was like, is this Superman? Well, he looks like Superman, but he's 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 not Superman. His, his shit is different than Superman. He's like, he's like all he got an all red costume, got a thunderbolt on the chest. I'm like, why is this this is not there's another Superman out there? But I looked into the character and I saw the how he, the character is completely different, which I'm gonna get into. And I've been intrigued with that character ever since. And then I find out about his story with the name changes and all that shit. Which I'm going to get into, uh, but we'll go ahead, go ahead and get into the creation of the Shazam one first. I actually got the articles up here. Get those ready. Okay, so the character itself was freshly first published by this uh, independent uh, publisher called Fawcett Publications in 1941. The founder of that was a dude named uh, Wilford uh, Fawcett, also known as Captain Billy. Uh, he actually had his own little magazine that he had called Captain Blizzard. Uh, he do like movies, but dirty poetry, and cartoons, and jokes. And it's actually uh, like a preeminent. So what? Sorry, just saying you cut out. What What was the name? It cut out right when you said the name of his publication. What was it? Captain Billy's Whizbang. Okay. Whizbang. Yeah. So it was a comic, and what it did is basically like the Mad Magazine of its time. Okay. They did like dirty jokes and dirty cartoons, and it was very, very types of comics. Uh, uh, and then actually, the real of the story here, and this is a character you're going to be hearing a lot in terms of the creation of Captain Marvel, Superman. Superman debuted, of course, in Action Comics, number one, 1938, and was an immediate success. To the point where all the other comic book publishers in America were like, they got a Superman. I want one. Give me one. So that basically happened with uh, Captain Billy at Fawcett, Produc at Fawcett Publications. So what I read 
um, the original choice was actually have a group of heroes, six heroes, and each of these heroes would have a power based on a Greco-Roman figure. Like uh, uh, somebody had the powers of Hercules, another one had the powers of Mercury, et cetera, et cetera. And then one of the posters was like, no, fuck all that. Let's, let's make all of this into one guy, and let's give him an alter ego that's different. Like, instead of making me a reporter like Superman, how about we make him a little kid? Like a 12-year-old kid. And I'm like, okay, let's, let's go with that. So it started on the design of the character. The character was actually designed by C.C. Uh, Beck. Uh, and they actually named the uh, alter ego uh, <laughs> uh, Billy Batson after the founder of the faucet, Captain Billy. And uh, initially, the character's name was Captain Thunder. And then I was like, that's stupid. So they changed it to Captain Marvelous. They said that's stupid too. But they shortened it down. It was like, okay, Marvelous Marvel. Captain Marvel. Oh. It's got a better ring to it. Yeah, it has a ring to it. Let's go with Captain Marvel. <laughs> now, as far as the origin of the character goes, uh, like I said, the character has been around since the early 40s. Actually, he debuted, actually debuted in Wiz Comics number two. Uh, the comic book was actually published in 1939, but didn't actually, uh, but is actually released in 1940. Uh, so basically, you had, had this 12-year-old kid, Billy Batson, who's living on the street, selling newspapers. And then one particular day, he gets led down a subway station by this mysterious stranger. Uh, I actually wrote an article like, there's no such, apparently there's no such thing as stranger danger in the 1930s. So, yeah, so this kid is being led down to this mysterious, uh, subway station by this mysterious man and he goes into this uh, subway car and it's like lined up with like Egyptian hieroglyphics and next thing you know he's transported to this place called the Rock of Eternity where he meets this old wizard uh, so like you know the, the, the stereotypical like Merlin magician looking type wizard where he got the long flowing beard and he got the white robes and shit and he's been around forever and apparently this wizard's name was Shazam and the name itself is an acronym for the uh, basis of his powers. S for uh, Solomon, the wisdom of Solomon. H for the strength of Hercules. A for the, uh, the stamina of Atlas. Z for the power of Zeus. Another A for the courage of Achilles. And the last one, the M, is for the speed of Mercury. So he's apparently been looking for a champion to, you know, fight evil and all this other shit for 3,000 years. He's getting too old books, so we're a champion now. You're in, little kid. So all you gotta do to get all these amazing fucking powers that you know nothing about is say my name. Really? Like, yeah, just, just say my name. And the kid's like, Shazam. Boom. Turns into this full-grown man with a new super suit and all these superpowers. And go out there and fight evil. You know, yeah, apparently in the original comic, the uh, the old man is immediately destroyed. Uh, a boulder falls on him. So, <laughs> and, uh, sorry, say that the old man's what? He's destroyed. Like a boulder falls on him as soon as uh, Billy says Shazam, so he's dead. But he leaves a brazier, like a, like a little uh, like a brass thing that Billy can light to bring his spirit back to life for like advice and shit. So kind of kind of becomes like Obi Wan Kenobi. Okay. Yeah, so uh, that happens, and then next thing you know, uh, Billy's a superhero now. He also finds, some jo- he finds himself a job 
as a radio reporter for a uh, radio station, WHIZ, Wiz. <laughs> yeah. And then not only that, is he a radio reporter and he also has his own office and his own secretary. He's 12. I mean, why not? <laughs> He's 12, dude. He's 12 with his own office and he goes on globe-trotting adventures as a radio reporter. Dude, it was, it was the 40s. I mean, every 12-year-old every had a job. Some of them are more yeah, secure. I, got, I give you that. Yeah, 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 I give you that. Like, yeah, like, I walk 15 miles and all the other, other bullshit. In the snow, with no shoes and all that bullshit. So, yeah. Uphill, of course, yeah, a 12-year-old kid in the 1930s got his own uh, secretary, his own office, and he becomes a globe-trotting fucking reporter. He's basically like, he's, he's half a Richie Rich at that point. More or less, yeah. He went from homeless to having his own office. Like, he, hey, he came up, man. But yeah, uh, that was, that was basically the beginning of the story for being named Captain Marvel. Now, in terms of the character's appearance, they actually based his appearance on Fred McMurray, you know, the actor. Yeah. Yeah, the Aston professor and all that shit. Yeah. Hey. They based him on Fred. They based the look on Fred McMurray. Yeah. That's weird. <laughs> that's the that's the heroic figure uh, that that uh, Captain Marvel slash Shazam is based on. And uh, the actual outfit apparently was like like a drum major outfit, like and apparently like you know like those military jackets that you know that you see like Michael Jackson or the Beatles wear. That yeah. was the other basis of kind of his costume too. So yeah, so he uh, yeah they did it yeah they did it all red and he went on these different adventures as Captain Marvel. Now in terms of sales and all the other shit, uh, Captain Marvel was actually the best-selling comic book of the 1940s. It outsold Superman. And actually, in terms of a number of the innovations associated with Superman, Captain Marvel got there first. Of the two, uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, like, everybody thinks that Superman is the first superhero to fly? Yeah. Captain Marvel was. Well, when, when Superman started, he couldn't fly. He could just leap, leap us uh, a tall building in a single bound. He could just jump. Yeah. Right. The, uh, the actual description was one-eighth of a mile. So yeah, he, just, he would just do super leaps. Yeah. And it kind of looked like flying, but Captain Marvel was the first one to actually straight up fly. So yeah, he got Superman beat there. Also, uh, in terms of live action depiction, Captain Marvel got there first. And actually, if you folks ever actually go onto YouTube, look up the Adventures of Captain Marvel serial from 19, I think, 1942. Uh, it's actually very, very well done. And for you kids who don't know what a serial is, uh, AJ, explain what the serials are to these young children. It's basically a, a, basically a TV show. It's the easiest way to describe it. Close enough. Thank you, AJ. <laughs> it's like... Think about like a, like a mini series. That's basically an easier way to describe it. But they set them up. They set them up as uh, as like short films, um, and so like it always ends. It like almost exclusively ends with a damn cliffhanger. So you'll come back next week to watch because if you you know before TV, right? Because the '40s we're talking, uh, it was the radio and it was a movie theater. You'd go pay you know the five cents or ten cents, like the whole idea you've heard Nickelodeon, right? They literally used to be a nickel. You could go in and you could sit down for pretty much the majority of the day in a, you know, in a theater, get a, get a break from the heat or the cold or whatever it is, 
and then they'd run all kinds of shit on the projector. And so you get a newsreel would be in there. That's where Disney uh, got started way back in the day with the, uh, the original like Steamboat Willie, that kind of thing. But this serial, uh, it's basically little 10 minute vignettes of different things that happen with that superhero. You get to the end and it always ends with a, will he be able to survive? Can he capture the bad guy? Find out next week with Captain Marvel. No, he's a weird voice, right? So. Yeah. Basically, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, more or less, yeah, just like AJ described, sad, like Saturday morning cartoons before there were Saturday morning cartoons. You go to a theater, you go in there and sit there. Like, apparently a lot of parents will do that just to kind of like keep the kids busy while they go shop. So you go in there, watch the movies all day, watch the cartoons, and boom, when you're done, yeah. you go yeah. yeah. And then repeat next week, because like I said, they always end with a cliffhanger. You gotta see what happens. So yeah, you gotta come back next week. But like I said, going back to the whole flying thing, uh, Captain Marvel actually was shown flying as early as Wiz Comics number five, which is 1940. Superman didn't officially fly until the Fleischer cartoons. That's the first time that Superman actually flew. And then after that, he flew on the radio series. But like, yeah, Captain Marvel beat him to it first. And like I said, in terms of the movie itself, the movie, if you ever get a chance to watch the uh, um, Adventures of Captain Marvel series, actually, considering its budget and considering the time frame, it's actually very good. It's I mean, a very good watch. You know, to, to, put it, to put it in kind of a, a nice, more succinct way, it's better than a lot of short films you see coming out of film programs. I mean, it's, it's solid. They did a good job. It, it, it's very much solid. And, uh, of course, for live action, uh, this, like I said, this is actually... People don't realize how important that shit is because this movie, The Adventures of Captain Marvel, is the first ever live action depiction of a comic book superhero on film. The first one ever. Be Superman to it. So, and actually, funny enough, the people at Republic who made the serial offered it first to DC Comics and Superman, but something happened with the legal chicanery. Also stepped in, said, hey, we got Captain Marvel. Okay, we'll make that. And that's how it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the actual uh, film itself is starring a dude named uh, Tom Tyler, who was like an old silent film cowboy type character. And actually, it was a champion weightlifter. He plays Captain Marvel. And then uh, they also have a kid named, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, William Cochran uh, uh, playing Billy. And Billy, the guy is like 25, he's obviously like 25 years old, but he's playing, supposed to be playing a teenager. And like he's like purposely uh, highly pitching up his voice. You could tell he speaks lower. Like, oh gosh, really? He's he's doing that shit on purpose. I'm like, wow. Different most of the crap that's on TV today, they still do it because it's 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 impossibly expensive to work with kids, even back then when they had no child labor laws. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the actor's name that played Billy is Frank Cock. I'm sorry. Right. So the the whole get down is uh, Billy is part of this expedition in Siam, which is modern-day Thailand. Uh, Siamese, Siam, etc. you know. But uh, they're in this, uh, <laughs> in this uh, little uh, part of uh, Siam, uh, hunting after what they call the Scorpion Dynasty. Like, apparently that this is legend of this giant golden scorpion that's supposed to be worth millions of dollars and shit, and also supposed to be a great weapon. Uh, they find it, and while they find it, Billy is uh, contacted by the Wizard Shazam, 
and it's like, hey, uh, the, the scorpion is like not supposed to fall into the hands of greedy men like the people you work with. So you got to protect it. Uh, and I'm going to give you the powers to do so as Captain Marvel. And pretty much that's the whole whole get down of the serial. So many people get knocked out in the serial, like multiple times, like, and no brain damage. And it's like the lightest taps knock them out, too. Yeah, but I mean, to be fair, back then they didn't totally understand TBI. I mean, they boxing matches went on for like 80 rounds. True. I mean, Jack Johnson, shit, man, I think there was one, one boxing match. I'm trying to remember who it was. But he kept him on his feet for like 76 rounds. He'd hit him, and then he'd literally hold him up to keep him from buckling just to let him know he was going to punish him and keep him going. So back then, they had no concept that, like, every time you knock somebody out, they literally could die. Yeah, true. <laughs> and like, uh, like I said, the whole premise of the get-down is uh, there's like six guys in this expedition, of what they call the Malcolm Expedition. One of them is the bad guy of the uh, – of the series, the Scorpion. He's masked throughout the entire thing, and you got to figure out which of the six guys is the Scorpion because they keep killing each other off and shit. And uh, Captain Marvel, of course, is there to uh, protect them and save them and all this other shit. A couple of them get killed. Well, actually, most of them get killed despite Captain Marvel's efforts. Um, and it actually, funny enough, if you watch it, it's pretty violent uh, in retrospect. Um, they actually show. They actually showed Billy himself getting into his many fights as Captain Marvel. And you have Billy with a gun and you know Billy doing all these different adventures and shit. Billy flying a plane. He's supposed to be twelve, but he's like he's, he's a twenty. He's the he's the oldest looking twelve year old I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and also, like I said, in terms of the violence, Captain Marvel is straight killing people in this movie. He's like throwing people off bridges. There's one secret scene, like I think it's one of the first ones, where he actually lands a machine gun and shoots down fucking Siamese uh, refugees like as they're running away. It's like, wow, just shooting people in the back, Captain Marvel. It's not Batman. <laughs> Damn close. <laughs> he's he's to be... He's got a set of morals. I mean, this is, it almost, you know, in some ways, uh, the more you describe it to me, it sounds like they're, uh, they're kind of uh, undercutting um, Punisher because Punisher likes to act like they're the first one to really have that like massive level of violence and death going on as a comic book superhero. But from the sounds of it, Captain Marvel was just straight out killing people left and right. Yes, he was, bro. And one thing that really impressed me the most about this serial was the flying effects. Now, in front of the flying, what they did was, yeah, it actually showed, you know, superhero flying for the first time. Now, for the main uh, thing, they had the whole rear projection thing where they had the guy laying down and you see the projection flying past on there with wind machines and shit. They had that. Yeah. Yeah, this shit, you know, he just had his arms out and his out. He's just doing that shit. They had that for the close-up, but for, like, the faraway shots, they actually built this giant wooden dummy that they actually put on these pulley cables. And uh, if you look at the effect, like, it works very well from far away. Despite the fact that it's wooden, so it's, like, one position. But, like, when you see it from, like, far away, like, damn, that's actually pretty good. It actually looks like a dude flying. I mean, again, you got to – this is the hard part I always find when you talk with, uh, with people in our generation. You know, they expect everything to be, like, polished CGI, like, uh, you know, the, like Captain America or something like that. But – Dude, back then, everything practical, in-camera effects, like that's, 
it, it really, from the little bits that I've seen, like, yeah, it was solid, dude. Yeah. So, yeah, and apparently the dummy itself was seven feet tall, weighed 15 pounds. You know, like I said, you just they put along the two cables and it looked, it looked like, the only, only times you can kind of see it's a dummy is when they do close-ups of it. Yeah. When they do close-ups of that particular thing, you can see it very clearly it's a dummy. But when they do the faraway shots, it looks fucking fantastic. So I highly suggest, if you get a chance, go check out the Avengers of Captain Marvel serial. It's very good. Okay. Now, uh, as the character grew on, uh, there was actually a lawsuit uh, from DC Comics. Um, like I said, Captain Marvel was the most popular character of the 1940s, and it also Superman, which they did not like. Uh, the na uh, national publications, the dudes that own DC Comics, they went on a sewing frenzy after Superman came out because so many other publishers were trying to do their own versions of Superman. So, you know, uh, I think one good example is there's a, hold on, I think I can find it here. Yeah, there was a, there was actually a uh, comic book publisher. Yeah. Fox Feature Syndicate. They actually had a comic book called Wonder Man. Um, but as soon as DC Comics saw it, they sued those motherfuckers. Wonder Man only came out one episode, on one issue. They sued the shit out of them very quickly. So, but then they saw Fawcett and they saw the money they were making with Captain Marvel. like, oh, we got to put a stop to this shit. I'm sorry. And the, the, of course, the grounds of it was, number one, this character is clearly a ripoff of Superman. And two, this is a ripoff that's outselling Superman. You got to go. So. Well, yeah, and that's how they claim an actual um, financial injury. Good that's idea. A, that's a big part of it. They have to claim that it's it's injuring them economically. Yeah, so DC took new action, and they actually sued Fawcett. Uh, while most of the other publishers backed down from DC, Fawcett was like, you know, fuck it, we're going to fight. This is, our, this is our mainstream character. This is our main character. This character is our bread and butter. We're not going to let it go for y'all. No. So they actually fought. Uh, and uh, the big kicker that really kicked off the lawsuit was what we just talked about, the adventures of Captain Marvel Syria and how popular that was. It was like, uh-uh, you, <laughs> you got to go, bro. So, so they actually went to court. They filed suit in 1941. They actually didn't go to trial until 1948, March 1948. So the DC legal team was known to all the different similarities between Captain Marvel and Superman in terms of the costumes, the powers, enemies, storylines, etc., etc. Uh, they even went so far as to take comic books themselves, took a, take a Superman comic and a Captain Marvel comic, put them side to side, and show, hey, this character's doing the same thing as Superman is. We did this first. This is our fucking copyright, etc., etc. Obviously, they're infringing on us. Uh, and then, but then the uh, Foster's counter was that characters like Tarzan and Doc Savage that had actually predated Superman had been doing these same kind of poses and same kind of actions or whatever. So you can't really have claim to that. Right. Uh, they, they, basically, it sounds like they were claiming, hey, um, okay, fine. If you want to claim we're a ripoff, that's okay. But you're a ripoff too, and we're all ripping somebody else off. So have the third party sue us. Yeah. So the real kicker uh, that uh, actually ruled initially in Fawcett's favor was that DC was actually running daily newspaper strips of Superman through the McClure Syndicate. However, they failed to obtain the proper copyright for uh, Superman because of the fact they shared it with McClure. 
So therefore, DC Comics did not have a clear claim on Superman, and therefore cannot claim copyright infringement. And it was not valid at that time, so they actually ruled the first time in favor of false economies. But DC was not giving up. Because <laughs> again, Captain Marvel was still outselling Superman. It's like, you still got to go. So they appealed the decision in 1951 uh, in, uh, at the uh, United States Court of Appeals from, from Search Court Judge uh, Learned Hand, which is actually his name. I was like, wow, Learned Hand, that's a hell of a name. Uh, he presided over the case, and this time he actually ruled in favor of DC. Uh, he actually said that while the McClure uh, strip itself was uh, not under copyright, the Superman copyright is still valid. And he also ruled that while the, that the character, while the character himself, Captain Marvel, is not infringing the Superman, specific stories and, and characteristics of the character were. So this time they actually ruled in favor of DC. And um, by the time the trial was done, since you brought, you brought that up too, it became a huge financial drain on Fawcett. And then this is like the end of World War II, so superheroes were on the decline. So sales were down. Actually, they had to, they actually had to cancel several uh, uh, titles. And DC, Marvel, all of them they just they were going down. So they didn't have the money to fight anymore. So in the early 50s, they finally relented. And uh, Fawcett actually they decided to settle out of court. And DC agreed to you know, let, drop the, the lawsuit on two conditions. Two conditions. I, I did one for those of you who didn't see that. Two conditions. Uh, the first one, Fawcett had to pay DC Comics $400,000 in damages. And also, and this is the big one, Fawcett had to cease all publications of any characters related to the character of Captain Marvel. So... So how's he supposed to pay him like half a million bucks if he can't sell, sell what he was selling to make money? That's, that's, those, are the, those are the two. <laughs> hey, those are the two fucking conditions, man. So, yeah. So that was, for a time, the end of Captain Marvel. For a time. Now, this is where shit gets confusing. Uh... After uh, the whole thing where they ceased all publication of Captain Marvel going into the 1960s, the name Captain Marvel was up for grabs. And who decided to take that name? Marvel Comics. As you'd expect. So, so what? I said, as one would expect. As one would expect, yeah. Now, initially, uh, the name of Marvel was actually Timely Comics. They've been around since, you know, since the since World War II, just like DC. The initial name was Timely Comics, and then in the 50s, they changed their name to Atlas Comics. And then, by the time of the early 60s, when Stan Lee came along, Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, Incredible Hulk, and all different characters, they decided to name the, the, the publisher Marvel Comics. After that, that was the name of their very first comic book, was Marvel Comics. So, uh, the publisher at the time, Martin Goodman, who was actually Stan Lee's uncle, uh, said, you know, I was like, you know what? We're Marvel Comics now. We should have the Captain Marvel name. So they went after it. And uh, <laughs> it, it became available. They trademarked They actually trademarked the name Captain Marvel in 1967. And as a result, uh, they decided to go ahead and create their own version of Captain Marvel, which I'm going to get into in a second, uh, that same year. Now, 
part of the uh, part of the whole get down with the trademark for for Marvel Comics is such. Uh, the only way they can keep their trademark is they have to have a, they have to publish at least one comic book every few years with the title Captain Marvel in it. They've had six different characters with that name Captain Marvel, but they have to have that one. They have to run at least one comic every few years to keep the copyright. If not, it's up for grabs. So, uh, yeah, they've been, that's how they've been doing it ever since, man. Hmm. So, okay. like I said, they, like, they've had six different versions of Captain Marvel from Marvel Comics. A couple of them we're going to get into in a second. Uh, <laughs> so, like, it's just weird that they would go through all that. But in the meantime, between time, uh, in the early 70s, DC Comics decided to license Billy Batson and Captain Marvel and all those original characters or whatever and bring them back to DC Comics. Apparently there was like some sort of surge of interest in them. So at the time again... Sorry, uh, just to be clear, I got, I got a little confused there. So before Marvel picked it up and decided to take it and trademark it, DC, how, how, so they ended up getting a hold of it? Is it because from the... Um, out from from the settlement, they actually now had the rights to those characters. Yes. Okay, so then they decided to do their own their own DC version of Captain Marvel. Yes, in like in the seventies. Yes. Okay. So and this like, like, and before Marvel did their own Captain Marvel. Uh, no, um, uh, yeah. Before DC decided to market their own version of it, yeah, Marvel took the name and they said they published their own version of Captain Marvel. That's how they started. That okay. one started in the 60s. All right, so just so I'm clear. So Marvel Marvel was doing its own Captain Marvel. Now, the underlying yes. characters that had been Captain Marvel were owned by DC. So a few years later, DC decided we're going to use Billy Batson and those characters. We're going to do our own thing that is still Captain Marvel? That's what I'm about to get into. Okay, all right. That's, yeah, yeah, but yeah, but uh, other than that, up to that point, yes. Okay, I got you. Okay, so in the 70s, because of that again, the name Captain Marvel was owned by Marvel Comics. They couldn't use that name anymore. So they decided to go with the name of the wizard and, and also the character's catchphrase, Shazam. So starting from then on, all uh, publications, all uh, publicity pertaining to that character would be under the moniker Shazam. And, uh, and they actually kind of worked out sort of a deal with Marvel. Uh, inside, like, uh, if it was like a TV show or a comic book, that features that the DC version of the character, they can say the name Captain Marvel inside the comic book or on the TV show, but any terms of anything in terms of like marketing, like to the public or like the title of a comic or the title of a TV show, it has to be Shazam. Okay. So that's how they worked it out for years, and that's that's what that's where the confusion really comes in. Uh, so uh, while that was happening. They decided to bring it back. So the first thing they did was they did a filmation uh, live action TV show in the 70s. <laughs> uh, and actually, Filmation uh, was an animation studio. Uh, their biggest hits uh, that most people know about, uh, Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids, that was Filmation. Uh, the Star Trek anime series that brought back all the original cast, that was Filmation. And also, the biggest, the biggest hit ever, he-Man and the Masters of the Universe. That was filmation. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, what they decided to do is they wanted to do a live-action version of the, the Captain Marvel character. So, they did a live-action TV show on CBS, Shazam, in the 1970s. 
uh, ran from, uh, let's see here, 1974 to 1976. And what it did was they had a, it's a weird show, man. Uh, they have, it's also on YouTube if you ever look it up. So basically they had a uh, Billy Batson, who was like this young guy uh, named uh, Michael, not young actor named Michael Gray. And he drove around in a Winnebago, 1970s, drove around in a Winnebago with this old guy named Mentor, who was, of course, his mentor. <laughs> and uh, they pretty much kept most of the story, uh, but they also added a cartoon element to the show where whenever Billy needed advice, they had a cartoon panel of the guys that his powers are based on, and they could, he could go to them for advice. So basically, it was Billy and Mentor traveling the country, kind of like David Banner style, traveling the country, you know, uh, you know like, like Pearl Fish, you know, go from place to place. Meet new people, get into adventures. That's basically what the premise of the show was. And they would like usually encounter like young kids and they have some sort of problem, whether it be like uh, peer pressure or drugs or you know what I'm saying, like violence or some shit like that. Billy Bats would intervene, some shit would happen, he would turn into Captain Marvel, save the day, and at the very end of the episode, you get to, you would get what would be known later in the eighties as a PSA. <laughs> Captain Marvel himself. They, they actually were the first ones to do the PSA thing. And now we know. And knowing's half the battle. Pretty much, yeah. That's exactly what it was. So at the very end of the episode, it would be uh, the Captain Marvel characters like, hey, kids, uh, don't do drugs. Or, you know, don't let your uncle touch you. you know? <laughs> Which is hilarious, considering where they started with them going down the subway with the creepy old guy. Yeah. Exactly. So but, uh, before the the between sexual assault and scientific experimentation is a fine line. There's a fine line between sexual assault and scientific curiosity. What the fuck, man? <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh god. Okay. So, uh, like I said, very. Like, uh, they actually had two different actors play Captain Marvel himself, and the the, the two actors were uh, Jackson Boswick and John Davies. Now, Boswick played Captain Marvel for the first two seasons of the show. Davy played Captain Marvel for the last season. What happened was, apparently, they fired Jackson Boswick uh, because he got injured shooting Captain shooting the show or whatever. And I uh, went to the hospital, and uh, he, he told the PA that I'm going to the hospital. I think I hurt my eye or something like that. And because of the fact he was at the hospital, and for some reason they, they, they didn't get word to the producers, they fired him. Just out the blue, they just fired him. And kind of find out that, no, I was at the hospital getting this fixed. I told this person, et cetera. And they're like, oh, right. But they already fired him. So what happened was they hired a new guy already as Captain Marvel, but they had to pay Jason, uh, Jackson Bostwick all his royalties and his salary for the entire next season. See, so that, basically, that's one of those things where it's like the producers obviously wanted somebody else, and so they tried to use it as an excuse. And once they got into it deep enough, they're just able to use – because, like, the SAG – SAG's been a good thing for actors. I know you know this as an actor. In a lot of ways, it can be fantastic for you guys. And – I mean, they were in a situation after they hired the other guy, they were going to have to pay one or the other of them. They probably could have gotten out of the new guy's contract a lot sooner and a lot cheaper. But the fact they drug him along, that sounds to me like they wanted to get rid of him anyway. 
that was just a good excuse. And then they're like, ah, you know, it's not that much money to carry him the rest of the season. But at the same time, like I said, like he was still in the contract and they basically unjustly fired him. Yeah. So the guy still got all his money. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's why SAG and, and a good agent, that's, I mean, that's why that, that matters and that's important. I, I guess my overall just, like I said, just my, my gut instinct on it was they were looking for an excuse to get, get rid of him and it was a cheap way to have an excuse to get rid of him. But that still yeah. sucks for him, though. Yeah, it still sucks, yeah. All right, so uh, like I said, the uh, Filmation TV show came in. Uh, Filmation still stuck with Captain Marvel, though. They uh, actually introduced a new cartoon in, like, 81. Uh, the kids' superpower hour with Shazam. So there's two cartoons. The first one was Shazam again, uh, with Billy Batson and all the characters. And they had a cartoon called Hero High, which is basically a bunch of made-up kids superheroes. And Captain Marvel would appear on the TV show, kind of give advice to the young heroes, etc. Uh, and it lasted like I think all of a season. So there was that. Uh, now, as far, as far as the characters, uh, one thing we didn't get into yet, uh, the characters like the, the Marvel family, as they call it, that his backup characters, uh, he actually kind of ripped off Superman with that shit too, though. Because um, they had uh, Captain Marvel Jr., Mary Marvel, <laughs> and uh, this is my favorite, Poppy the Marvel Bunny. <laughs> Wait, what, what year was this? This is like, well, they, all these characters came out in the 40s. They came along, they were the, they were the characters that came along with them in the DC oh, okay. so they it, It's starting to sound like, it's starting to sound like uh, like the Adam West Batman series. It's like, we got Bat Shark repellent, the Bat Copter, the Bat, <laughs> get the Marvel Bunny. <laughs> yeah, there's Captain Marvel Jr., Mary Marvel, Hoppy the Marvel Bunny. There's actually, uh, they actually had a group called Lieutenant Marvels, which they never did live action, thank God. Uh, which basically, was, it was three kids, all named Billy Batson, who are all fans of uh, Captain Marvel. All, yeah, all three of them had to be named uh, Billy Batson. One was a hillbilly kid, one was a fat kid, the other one was uh, some other kid. Anyway, like, they were, they were, uh, for some reason, they could turn into Captain Marvel too, but their powers were like a little less than the main guy. So yeah, they became the Lieutenant Marvel. And then there's also another one, which was the first one, Uncle Dudley. Uncle Marvel. You know, the, the more you talk about this, it kind of, it, it makes me wonder. I don't know for sure. I know you're, you're a huge geek. I know this is one of your, like, favorite, favorite characters. Is there yeah. any chance this had something to do with the, uh, the influence on the symptoms or symptoms with Radioactive Man and Fallout Boy? Because it's starting to sound more and more along those lines with the kind of the ridiculous, like, over-the-top marvelization of everything. Yeah, this is basically what it is. Like Marvel this, Marvel that. You know, they really had to get that name out there. Uh, <laughs> now, um, ever since then, actually, oh yeah, one one real big Captain Marvel fan that a lot of people don't realize is a Captain Marvel fan. But once I say who it is, you you get it. Elvis Presley. Okay. Elvis Presley was a big Captain Marvel fan. Now he actually styled his hair. After Captain Marvel Jr. And if you look at the Elvis jumpsuits, yeah, yeah, look at the Elvis jumpsuits with the different colors and the little cape. Yeah, those are inspired by Captain Marvel. Now, I, I obviously am not as familiar with the artwork. Did Captain Marvel have the deep V going on with all the uh, 
chest hair and gold gold chains too. That was all that was all Elvis, but the, all, the whole overall look of the suit is inspired by Captain Marvel. And also, you ever you ever, you ever seen Elvis' necklace with the TCB taking care of business logo and has a little lightning bolt on it? Yeah. Inspired by Captain Marvel. Okay, that makes sense. There you go. So yeah, Elvis Presley, whether you know it or not, is a is inspired by Captain Marvel. The yeah. look of Elvis Presley. <laughs> also want to uh, also I want to like uh start playing CC Rider. <laughs> <laughs> I was kinda hoping I was kinda hoping you were gonna say James Brown. No, no, no Presley. I, I like I like the I like the Godfather of Soul with his whole cape thing. I was hoping there was a superhero inspiration behind that, but uh, no, not I know. I'll, I'll look it up though, but no, not that I know. All right, now, after the end of the Filmation series, the Captain Marvel character actually was never the lead of his own TV series ever again. Um, but he's been, like, a, basically a guest star capacity on several DC shows. Like, he was on Justice League Unlimited, the Bruce Timm, Paul Dini one on Cartoon Network. Great episode called Clash, where actually Captain Marvel was voiced by Jerry O'Connell. We had this big fight with him and Superman. Uh, he's on Batman, Brave and Bold, Young Justice. Bunch of other shit. Now, one common denominator with all these appearances, the character is either uh, basically a ment- uh, basically being mentored by or in a conflict with Superman. That's the one since they since DC has acquired him. That's the one conflict they constantly have that character in. You know what I'm saying? Like they constantly put them either up, like with Superman or against Superman. And in a lot of instances, they pretty much build it that. Captain Marvel is one of the few characters in all of comics that can actually go to toe to toe and beat Superman in a fight. And they've done that several times. Like I said, if you ever look at it with the lawsuit and the inspiration, like uh, Superman might as well be his arch enemy. Well, and I just I just have to ask again because you're you're way ahead of me on everything comics. So ha- have they ever pitted? Batman versus Captain Marvel because Batman's the only guy I'm aware of that's ever beat Superman. And it was because um, he had Well, not 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 in the comics, no. But uh, well, actually, technically, technically, there was a miniseries called Batman and Superman where they actually had the government actually sanctioned Captain Marvel and Hawkman to go after Batman and Superman. And yeah, at one point, both of those entities get into a fight with each other. So it has happened. And like I said, the character was also featured on Batman Brave and Bold uh, with Batman as a mentor, actually. So, so, so then, so then who, who won? Because like for me, like it was always kind of a nice little, again, being a Batman guy, it was always kind of a nice little feather in my cap. It's like, yeah, Batman can beat Superman because he's smarter than him. But I'm, I'm really curious here where Shazam falls in this whole thing. Yeah, uh, in the comic book, yeah, uh, both Batman and Superman won because they were smarter and they were the more experienced of the two heroes. So, so the two of them together were able to beat Captain Marvel. Yeah. But there's never been a just just mono one on one, one Batman Captain Marvel. No. Well, DC, if you're listening, <laughs> I'd be interested. I'll buy. And like I said, with the whole Superman thing, there was a Superman family too, and like all the different similarities between the Marvel family and the Superman family, because like there's a Superman had Superboy, uh, Captain Marvel Jr., Supergirl, Mary Marvel. 
Crypto the Super Dog, Hoppy the Marvel Bunny. And then the arch enemy of both of those guys are bald headed scientists. Uh, well, of course, with uh, and that's another thing that, yeah, see, bald head too. Yeah. And one thing that uh, we're, we're both admiring the fact that we, we are streamlined. True. Yeah. <laughs> right. And that's another thing that Captain Marvel be Superman too with the bald headed scientist supervillain. Because uh, the Captain Marvel's enemy, Dr. Savannah, actually debuted before Lex Luthor. I think like two or three months before. Okay. Yeah, so beat him, beat him to that too. And uh, also the one nickname, that, which is a stupid nickname, but Dr. Savannah's nickname for Captain Marvel, which is supposed to be mocking, he always called him the Big Red Cheese. <laughs> that's, that's definitely one of those like old, like, 1940s 1950s kind of things where it's like you, you call the, the person who's in charge yeah let's go see the big cheese big red cheese <laughs> i don't i i mean i'm i'm struggling trying to understand what the hell it's supposed to mean and why it's an insult but <laughs> i don't get it either but yeah all right so to kind of finish up on the dc version like uh most recently actually last year the character finally made its big screen feature film debut and Shazam, released by DC, uh, for the DC, uh, released by Warner Brothers for the DC uh, Extended Universe. And also Moonlight Cinema, actually, was uh, one of the distributors of it, too. But it stars Zachary Levi as Shazam. And actually, funny enough, I don't know if you ever got a chance to see it yet, it's actually not that bad a movie. Of the DC Extended Universe movies, it's actually one of the better ones. So Better than Birds uh, of Prey? Way better than Birds of Prey. I, I can tell you that straight up. Um, the fucking uh, it's, it's like the lesser, like with the DC standing universe, the lesser known characters like Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and Shazam actually have the better movies. Okay, I gotta be, I got just as a quick aside, I gotta be honest, I, I still haven't seen Aquaman, but I want it to be good. Is it, is it good? It's very good, actually. Okay, and the effects are fantastic. Because well, I, I gotta say, I think, in, I think I'm casting uh, uh, Jason, how do you say his last name? Is it Momoa? Right? Oh. Momoa? Yeah. Yeah, dude, casting him was brilliant, I think. Because, I mean, just like the, the, the production stills and the publicity I've seen, like, that's taking in the direction it needs to go. Because that, like, blonde, scaly shirt dude from Justice Friends or Justice League when we were growing up, is, it, it turned me off to the character. I got to be honest. Like, super, super Friends, where all he did was talk to fish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like, every, I was like, eh, not interested. But when I saw him coming back and it's like, He's like Poseidon's son. He's gonna punch you in the mouth. I was like, all right, I like where this is going. That's like, that's that's the, that's the route they went. They also added the whole like, give him the Samoan background and giving the character some diversity, which I thought was brilliant. It was a brilliant yeah. touch. Like well, and I mean, again, like I grew I grew up with a, a lot of a lot of Samoan guys in high school and everything. I had some really good Samoan friends growing up. It's mm -hmm. freaking brilliant because even growing up in Utah, right? I was in Utah in high school. Dude, those dudes are still, that's like so, like the maritime aspects, such a huge part of the culture and so much of that stuff. And they're like, it's, yeah, it's a brilliant, brilliant way to go. Because if nothing else, like, I mean, obviously the diversity side is cool, but just like purely storytelling standpoint, mm -hmm. you basically got to go back to, I think, probably maybe the Vikings are about the only other seafaring nation that you can think of that has mm -hmm. some sort of like a, a almost like a, a prehistoric 
kind of connection to the sea that's just so so like visceral and masculine and, and aggressive um that i mean it's, it's one of the two and to be honest it's like you can't really find that i mean the vikings don't really exist anymore but you dude like i said you hang out with some samoan dudes and you're like these guys still got it man like they're still hardcore yeah. seafaring yeah, they're, all about, they're all about the water and like even with the water not the water the pool they're all about swimming and all that other shit all, all, everything like everything is beach based yeah well and dude and i gotta be honest like even before he got into that i was a fan of his because he's a huge huge supporter of of rugby um, yeah. all blacks fan and so like i'd seen him around that uh what was it following um game of thrones he, he started showing up in matches and stuff and i was like all right He's he's one of my new my new favorite actors out there for just that reason alone. But yeah, I, I, it's definitely on the top of my list. I got to see that. Yeah, but like going back to the Shazam movie, like I said, what they did with that movie, which I thought would be the best way to go with it anyway, would be basically as uh, t- uh, big meets Superman. Well, yeah, and so, look, Zachary, Zach, it's Levy, right? Ja- Zachary Levy. Zachary, uh, Levi, I think it's Levi as a Levi or Levy, but anyway, he's killer casting for that. He's he's just goofy enough, like he's not <laughs> he's not quite a Tom Hanks, you know, because Tom Hanks has that big kid thing going with him that that made it work so well. But he's brilliant casting for where Shazam has to go for sure. So I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll push it up my uh, my queue, try to get it there for fourteen. And check out because it also has that kind of like there's a horror element to it that a lot of people don't realize because it actually is directed by the same dude that does uh. Annabelle. Oh, really? In The Conjuring, those movies. The okay. same guy. He directed those movies. He also directed this. And you see those horror, the horror elements are in it. And it's like, you don't expect them to see them. Like, it was like, this is different. Yeah. And then also, like another big favorite of ours, Gremlins. Yeah. It's a, it's a Christmas film. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, it's the horror elements at Christmas. It's a perfect match. Is, is movie magic, like, yes. uh, Chucky, Chucky was technically a horror movie too, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Like, or I mean, like a Christmas horror movie. Yeah, Christmas horror. Yeah. Yeah. So the same, the same thing. You know, so freaking dude. Yeah, like I, I highly suggest you check it out. I, I like the movie, and it's uh, also there's a sequel coming. And since we talked about villains for the character, the main villain that most people would know would be Black Adam, who is more or less like the more or less his general design, like the evil version, like what if the character went evil? Okay. Uh, so in this particular, uh, this particular iteration of, of Black Adam will be played by Dwayne Rock Johnson. And they have actually been playing this movie for several years now, over five years. Um, they announced that the Rock will play and things have been halting in and Rock's been doing other movies and shit like that. But they're, trying to get it started as soon as possible. In fact, The Rock is already starting to work out for it. So well, it's coming. Yeah. Well, as I say, one thing's for sure, from what I've been seeing, he hasn't stopped working out. So, I mean, yeah. cause I, I, I still follow him on social media, and I saw, I mean, he was really he was really nice with his crew and everyone they had to shut down production on. I don't even remember what it was they were shooting when everything happened. We got everyone together, gave him a nice little talk, you know, hey, here's what we're going to do. And then since then, it's like whenever he pops up in my timeline, it's him and his gym just like, He's working his ass off, whatever he's doing, you know. So, so but yeah, so yeah, he's gonna be playing back Black Adam. Right. Zachary Levi's gonna be back at Shazam. So I'm interested to see how they do that. So that's gonna be good. Now, 
Now we talked about the DC aspect of it. Now let's go ahead and go into the Marvel a little bit. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Marvel won the name Captain Marvel in a lawsuit in 1967. Now, Stan Lee uh, was pretty much dispatched to make a Captain Marvel character. Now, if you know Stan Lee and you know of his like social media stuff, especially anything, he has like dozens of interviews about all of his creations. You can see a bunch of videos on the creation of Spider-Man and the X-Men and Fantastic Four and all. You can't see any on Captain Marvel. None. And I think he very sparingly mentions the character, mainly because of the fact, from all indications, he did not want to create the character. Because of the fact that he knew of the original, and he was a fan of the original, and he didn't want to rehash no thing, but his publisher pretty much told him, I don't care what you think, I want Captain Marvel, give me a Captain Marvel. So, wasn't really an organic choice from Stan's mind in order to do this character. Uh, so what I saw of uh, how he was created, the Marvel version anyway, the Marvel version was initially a man, and the character can kind of be seen as a pseudo spin-off of the Fantastic Four comic. Yeah, AJ? Well, I was just going to say, I mean, it's a, I feel like we kind of glossed over that point just a little bit quick. It is worth noting because Stan Lee's, I think, arguably the single most successful creator of, of comic book characters in history. I mean, he's he's created the most original um, groups of characters, probably in terms of not just volume, but lasting power. Um, and yeah, I mean, to your point, this is the only time that at least I'm aware of, um, off the top of my head, I can think of where he was asked to basically do a reboot on something that wasn't his creation originally. Yeah. Everything else, all these other characters that he's known for, all the major success of Marvel, that was all organic, straight from, you know, whatever muse that he had in the back of his mind that he went through to, to get it done. So that's, I mean, it's definitely worth noting. And I, I could understand why he wouldn't want to talk about it, especially because you said he was a fan, right? Yeah. It'd be like trying to get you and me to like remake The Godfather or something. You know? He's like, we're The Godfather. I'm not going to try to recreate The Godfather. Yeah. I don't care. You want I want you to recreate The Godfather. You want me to repaint the Mona Lisa? You want me to redo Scarface? Like, oh. Yeah, we're gonna go ahead. We're gonna redo. Uh, we're gonna go redo trading places or something. Like, give me a break. Yeah, real. So, like I was saying, like the character, like kind of is a spinoff of the Fantastic Four at the time. Stan and of course artist Jack Kirby had created a new alien race for the Fantastic Four called the Kree, aliens or whatever. So, with the Kree fresh on his mind, Stanley decided, you know, we got these bad guys, the Kree. Let's make one of them a good guy. And, you know what I'm saying, instead of, like, him having a secret identity, how about we make his name Marvel? So, and the character's name is Marvel. Mar M-A-R-V-E-L. Vell is his last name. So, Marvel. And they introduced the character in Marvel Superheroes 12 in 1967. Now, initially, this character is, like, supposed to be, like, an alien spy because of the fact that uh, they had two previous comics where the the Kree had come down, <clears throat> faced the Fantastic Four, and lost. And they're like, you know what? We keep losing to these Fantastic Four. Where does it look at these humans that they keep beating us? So we're going to find out what the fuck is up with them. So we're going to send one of our own down there to kind of spy them, see what they bow, see what they can do in terms of spacefaring capability, to see if they're actually a threat to us. 
if they are, we're going to get rid of them. So they sit down, Captain Marvel, Marvel, who was like a good guy of the crew. And what happens is fucking, like, it's, it's a bunch of co- coincidences that happen. It was just so common. He, he comes down, and uh, he actually is coming down, like, uh, as part of a scouting party with his superior, a dude named Yon Rog, and his girlfriend, uh, Yuna, who's like the, the ship nurse. So Yon Rog is jealous of Marvel and Yuna, and he wants Yuna for himself. So he's pretty much tried several times, very blatantly, to kill Marvel. And fucking, you know, uh, at one particular point, he actually hits a ship, trying, he hits a, uh, an airplane trying to kill Marvel, and the airplane pilot happens to look exactly like Marvel. And also, coincidentally, the pilot, the dead pilot, was a scientist on his way to Cape Canaveral. Uh, you know, to work for NASA, the space program. Isn't that a crazy thing? And even funny, yeah, even funny enough, the pilot and Marvel look exactly alike. So what do you do? Marvel decides to adapt this dead pilot's identity and go to work for NASA. <laughs> At Cape Canaveral, yeah. So <laughs> happy coincidence. Now, as he's working at Cape Canaveral, the security chief at Cape Canaveral is a woman named Carol Danvers. That's name, that name is going to come up a little later, too, because that is actually the current Captain Marvel. Uh, but at the beginning, she was sort of like a Lois Lane type character, kind of like uh, she's like suspicious of uh, the secret. Well, the identity he acquires is Dr. Walter Lawson. And so she's suspicious of Walter Lawson, but she's in love with Captain Marvel, that kind of bullshit. Uh, and what happens is the apparently NASA gets one of the Kree robots and starts experimenting on it to see what it's about. The, the damn thing comes to life, starts attacking the fucking NASA base. And of course, Captain Marvel gets in his, his military uniform, which happens to look like a goddamn superhero outfit, and starts fighting the robot. Now, as this is happening, the robot actually calls out his name, Captain Marvel Stop World War. And of course, Soldiers being dumb soldiers overhear the name, and they named him Captain Marvel, and that's how the that's how the name stuck. So uh, this character kind of sticks around for a few years, goes through a bunch of different transformations in terms of his look. Because at one point they actually canceled the character doing no sales, and also this is notable since we talked about Stan Lee. Stan Lee only did one issue of this character. He did the intro. He did the intro issue. And that's enough to other people. That's basically it. That shows him that's another indication that he did not want to do this fucking character. <laughs> so, <laughs> but again, initially, of course, the character kind of was succumbing to low sales, so they changed him up a little bit. Now, the, the writer that was put in charge of Captain Marvel was a dude named Roy Thomas. And uh, Roy actually did have a soft spot for this character, but he also had a soft spot for the original Captain Marvel, the one from Fawcett. So if you remember, like, what was the appeal of the original Captain Marvel? Hey, uh, it's about a kid that could turn into a superhero. So you know what? I'm going to borrow that aspect for this new Captain Marvel. But because of the fact we're going the scientific route as opposed to magic, we're going to give a scientific explanation. So what they had, well, they had another character, which has never really been mentioned, a character named Rick Jones. It was kind of like the sidekick extraordinaire for early Marvel comics. He's actually the Hulk sidekick. The Hulk had a sidekick initially, which is weird. But Very weird. 
Yeah, very weird. But the whole had a kid sidekick, and then he eventually became everybody's kid sidekick for a little bit. So they decided to use him to become the new kid sidekick for this new Captain Marvel. And they come up with this scientific explanation that he has this like device called megabands, so, like wristbands, golden wristbands or whatever. So they give Rick some wristbands. He bangs the wristbands together, and Captain Marvel and him switch places. So they kind of give a scientific explanation of you know a kid turning into a superhero. And uh, what and what would happen is uh, when one was on Earth, the other one would be in this dimension called the Negative Zone, and just be stuck there for a while until the other one brings them back. And they did that for a couple of years too. Now again, the characters succumbed to low sales. Uh, they could not, they just could not find the right groove with this version of Captain Marvel. But in the 70s, a dude named Jim Starlin took over the book. And Jim Starlin gave him probably the best villain in all the comics, especially now with pop culture themes or whatever. And especially now if you're if any fan of the Marvel films, Thanos. The first major Thanos storyline was he was the arch enemy of the original Captain Marvel. And it was a really good storyline. The whole thing with the Infinity Gauntlet and all that shit too, they did a, kind of like a proto version of that first with Captain Marvel. But instead of the, the glove, it was a thing called the Cosmic Cube, which would be called the Tesseract in the movies. Mm-hmm. So he used that to kind of turn himself into a god, and Captain Marvel was the main one who tried to stop him. So that was actually the biggest boost to the character ever. You know what I'm saying? And to this day, like uh, whenever they uh, put Thanos in the comic book, he'll always say that the original Captain Marvel is his greatest enemy. Hmm. So we had that first major storyline for Thanos was with Captain Marvel. Uh, and then again, it just kept becoming the real sales. So I decided, you know what? I'm just, I'm just gonna go ahead and put this character out of his misery. So in 1981, they killed him. Yeah, uh, they was doing a series of graphic novels. The okay. very first one was the death of Captain Marvel. So <laughs> it's kind of fucked up, too, but but ironically, it's still like it's still considered the very best comic of that character because of the fact that it showed a superhero in a in a place of vulnerability that had never really been shown before. Now, in terms of like how he dies. Uh, he doesn't die from some big super battle. He doesn't die from some, like, you know, interstellar shit or whatever. He dies from cancer. Hmm. Yeah, you know, years prior, the character had a con- had an uh, uh, encounter with a dude named Nitro who could, like, blow himself up. And the dude was still in a, a nerve gas called Compound 13. And in a split-second decision, like, the canister of Compound 13 was leaking, and Captain Marvel used the super strength to crush it, but exposed himself to the gas. And it took years and years for it, for it to like become carcinogenic, but it did. And then the great irony is his main source of power, his mega bands that I mentioned, they were actually the only thing that were keeping him alive, but they were also the only thing that were keeping people from curing him. So it mutated to a point where the mega bands couldn't do nothing no more. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's funny, it's a great read because in fact you see this character go through the five stages of death. You know, anger, acceptance, you know, all this other stuff, guilt, you know, all, all this regrets, all this stuff. It's really, it's really to read. Okay. Oh, I thought you were going to say something. No, no, I was just, I was listing off the other, uh, other stages of grief. 
the denial, the bargaining, that whole thing. So, yeah, he's doing that shit. Uh, they're all in the book, and it's really good to see. And then it ends in a very beautiful mural, like very beautiful vision. They basically got every Marvel superhero at the time to come to his pretty much to his deathbed mm-hmm. and give that give that salute to him. And it ends with him finally going comatose, and in a dream state, he he's visited by Thanos, and Thanos is like, "This is Thanos like, this is pathetic. This is not how you're supposed to die. You're supposed to be fighting, you know, the great fight. You're supposed to be fighting people like me. That's how you're supposed to die. So they, you know what? Because of the warrior you are, I'm going to give you one last adventure. So they, so magically, Captain Marvel in his dream is restored to his full power. And Thanos, and Thanos is going to destroy the heart of the universe. And he said, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to destroy it. And Captain Marvel's like, why? Because I'm Thanos. And because you're Captain Marvel, you're here to stop me. So they have one last great battle. And when it's over, Thanos and Death basically walk Captain Marvel into the light. And that's it. He passes away. Huh. So it's very beautiful. It's a very beautiful book, man, if you have a good chance to read it. Is there a- is there any reference to that in any of the Avengers films? Um, not well. They have one little brief reference in Endgame when uh, the Carol Danvers Captain Marvel fights Thanos. That's about it. Um, which is sad. That's too bad. That's like, an opportunity. Yeah, it's, yeah. Like when they and then actually the character of Marvel. I'm gonna to, I'm gonna get to the Captain Marvel movie in a second. Uh, they actually gender swapped it, which I did not like. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna get to that in a second. Um. But yeah, so that first character, first version of the character died, and he also had a bunch of different successors. One of which was actually a black woman, Monica Rambeau, who was also in the Captain Marvel movie. And the third one was uh, they actually created a son for him in the '90s named Genus Bell. So it's kind of like a like a Gen X version of the character, immature, you know, kind of young kid, punk kid, got all these powers, but he doesn't have the maturity to use them. That kind of shit. Uh, then he, then he, they give him a sister. She becomes the character for a little while. They have a bunch of different successes, and now the current one is the one I mentioned earlier, uh, Carol Danvers, the female version, the blonde-haired female version. And she started out as like the lowest plane of the series, and now she's she is Captain Marvel. And funny enough, she's had the greatest run with the, uh, with the name of the character because her sales are eclipsing everybody else that has ever had every other character that's had that name. That's why I chose her to be the main one in the movie. Uh, and like I said, they actually did have the Captain Marvel movie, which was released, released around the same time as Shazam. And that's why I was another reason why I was excited for the for last year. Like, like it was the year of Captain Marvel. It was two Captain Marvel movies coming around the same time. Yeah. And yeah, and this one starred Brie Larson as uh, Carol Danver. And like I said, the two other versions of Captain Marvel are in the movie. Uh, like I said, Marvel was gender swapping me in a female played by Annette Benny. And I was like, okay, whatever. But as soon as, like, as, soon as I saw, like, I was watching the movie and I saw like, the character's name was Dr. Wendy Lawson. I was like, no, don't do this. <laughs> no, no. As soon as I saw it, I was like, damn it, she's Marvel. And she was. So and uh, also, let me, let me ask you a question real quick. So, yeah. your, what, where is where is the heart of your problem with the with the gender swap? 
the heart of my problem with the Dennis Swap is I feel like the, the original character Marvel, which I said is my favorite superhero of the Marvel heroes, my personal favorite. I've always felt that that character is kind of like the bastard stepchild of the Marvel Universe because he's created around the same time as the heavy hitters, Spider-Man and X-Men and Iron Man, but never really got the same respect. Man, I think mainly because of the fact that it's very well-known that Stanley didn't care for the character for one of them to do with the character, which is a shame because he's a really good character. Uh, in terms of the gender swap stuff, I have nothing against Annette Benning as an actress, but this is a very action-oriented character, and I just don't feel 50, 60-year-old Annette Benning really pulled that off. You know what I'm saying? So, See, I've got, I've got a very, very different problem with it, I think, um, than, than where you're at. And I, and I, I mean, look, people may like it, they may not like it, but for me, oh, with Lord. all of these different, different characters, we start talking about the swapping stuff around. For me, I think part of what it comes down to is there's a, um, you know, I, I don't even know if it's, I don't know if it's a quite, quite okay to say it's a moral thing or something, but there's, there's an issue that comes in because it's almost like, it's almost like there's an omission on the part of the people that are doing the swaps, whether they're doing gender swaps. Like you've been doing this whole series right now. If you haven't read it, people, I believe it's Belserverse and God Hates Geeks. I can't remember if you're on that as well, but you're talking about black superheroes. Um, mm -hmm. Whenever you're swapping out and you're, you're going to start playing with the, uh, the ethnicity or the, uh, the sex, or even the sexual orientation, one of these characters, when you're taking an existing one and then you're changing it into the other one, it's almost like you're saying that there's not something good enough for, for an original. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Like, that's kind of where I'm at on. So I'm like, I don't, I don't have a problem with like a chick superhero. Like we can go down the list. Like I think probably out of all of them, aside from fantastic four X-Men's where you find the best female uh, superheroes. Like you start talking about like storm or something like that. There's some really great, cool characters you could build something off of, but whenever mm -hmm. you take something that's existing and then you swap it, it's almost like just it's almost like you're saying, well, they're not it's not good enough to come up with an original. We have to take something that already exists and change it. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And it's, actually that's another that, that is another reason why I was not happy with the Annette Benny thing. Because like they really didn't do nothing with them with the character. Like, like, like to, to give you like another one on the DC side, like if, if we came in and like they swapped Superman and Superman's like black all of a sudden, it's like, okay, like that's fine, but if, if, they, if that was the attitude everyone had that now we're going to have, you know, this is going to be the, the black Superman, well, then you'd never get Luke Cage. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's like, for me, I'm just like, I was like, well, no, I'm not, I don't have any problem with the idea of you need to have a, a wider variety, but I'm saying like, let's do something original. Don't, don't just yeah. package the same old, old stuff and try to make it fit because every one of these characters, especially these ones that have been around for so long, there's a ton of stuff that builds into them. Even something that's been as like tumultuous as, as Captain Marvel has been with all the different reboots and all the different envisionments of it. There's a lot of stuff that the character's core being brings to the table that is culturally or experientially kind of defined. Mm -hmm. That when you just try to force it into a new package, it doesn't, it doesn't work and it doesn't make sense. I mean, again, you'd lose Black Panther if that was your attitude. You know what I mean? So it's like... Sure. There's something to be said for, hey, if you want to do something with, pick it. Like I said, if you want, if you want to deal with you know, the, the, the gay superhero or the female superhero, whatever it is, let's do something original. That's kind of where I come down to. I was like, why not spend some time and effort to build something that 
is informed, that that is literally born out of whatever those experiences are. Because each one of these characters, like they always have some basic underpinning, specifically on the superhero side. I don't think it matters as much with some of the supporting cast and ancillary characters. That's a little more interchangeable because the the core of what you're looking at is going to be who the um, who the the lead actor is, right? Who who your 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 main character is going to be in there. I think there's something to be said for doing something original and giving a lot more freedom now. Because the other thing too is you're you're constantly you're constrained, right? Like there was a bunch of people way back when. Remember when they were recasting Superman? I think or not Superman, Spider Man. There were uh, so a few people kicking around Donald Glover. Yeah, from the Miles Morales version. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, it would have been fine, I guess. I mean, I love Donald Glover. I think he's hilarious. But there is something to be said that, like, that's going to be a very, very different movie in a lot of ways. And, like, I, I just think there's, like, a lot of opportunity there to do something that's completely original that has a lot of, um, you know, room for something organic. Does that, does that make sense where I'm going? Yeah, it does. And, uh, but also to kind of shit on that. Um, <laughs> the, the, uh, shit on that. That Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse featured the Miles Morales version, and that was very successful. So... Yeah, well, look, and again, it, it was. I mean, you because we, we're talking about two different things, right? We're talking about commercial success versus an artistic tendency and, and feeling. I mean, Captain Marvel, it did well success, uh, commercially. It was successful. It made money. They're going to keep it going. I'm just talking about that that gut reaction of something where, and that's where it comes from for me, is I'm like going, okay, well, I mean, we can fit anybody into the Batman mold, I guess, but... You know, if you if you start getting too wild with it, at a certain point, you start losing stuff, and certain aspects of it don't make sense. And there's a lot of opportunity, like for you know, if you wanted to recast it, where it was like, uh, um, you know, one of Will Smith's kids or something, like they end up getting it, right? If you you recast Batman that way, and it's you know, Will Smith and Jada, you know, got gunned down out of something, you you go a completely different direction, and it might not be Batman. It'd be, but it could be something similar if you want to go with an orphan guy who's fighting crime like there's yeah. you can take that very very broad concept but there's something to be said for making it it's wholly own original kind of organic thing yeah that's um, quickly going back to the captain marvel movie the movie itself like like you said was very successful most of a billion dollars at the box office the premise of the movie is basically is a prequel to the marvel cinematic universe that we know yeah. uh in the continuity of the marvel cinematic universe uh, Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel, is the very first superhero that Nick Fury encounters. And she initially, his, his encounter with her initially becomes the inspiration for what will be known as the Avengers initially, which will eventually culminate with the Avengers and all that good stuff. But she apparently came first. Uh, well, in terms, of his, in terms of his interactions with her. So, and then also, uh, through her, he found out about aliens and all this other shit. So, like, when you see Nick Fury in the later movies and how calm he is about all the shit that's going on, it's because like, he's seen it before. He's seen a lot of weird shit before. Uh, but, like I said, they also have, they, re they featured the Marvel version of Captain Marvel, and they also featured the uh, Monica Rambeau version, the black version of Captain Marvel, as a little girl. Uh, and uh, basically, the little girl is the daughter of uh, Carol's best friend, Maria. And as 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 uh, as it turns out, they're actually going to be bringing that character back, Monica Rambeau, as an adult for one of the uh, DC Plus uh, series coming up, WandaVision. She's going to be an adult, and they're bringing her back. And also, they brought, of course, they brought back Brie Larson as uh, Captain Marvel in Avengers Endgame. And 
And you're also going to be bringing her back for Captain Marvel 2 again, of course. Uh, like I said, it was very successful. I like, personally speaking, I don't mind the movie. A lot of people were really big, uh, really harping on Brie Larson herself as opposed to her performance in the movie because of the fact Brie Larson had said some shit about like uh, white actors and a lot of people were taking it as like ultra feminist and they decided to fucking boycott the movie or strike at the movie, which is unnecessary. And fucking, yeah, like, like I said, it's a decent movie. A lot of people, like, it's either some people love it, some people hate it. I love it. Well, mainly because of that, I'm kind of biased because, like I said, I love the character. Uh, but a lot of people, like, dig it, too. So, you know, it's not that bad a movie. And, like I said, it's going to be having sequels. And, uh, and then she also had a great turnout in uh, Avengers Endgame. So, uh, so, like I said, we'll see what the future of that character holds. The character, uh, that character is, like, kind of just budding. In terms of its like box, in terms of its like pop culture or multimedia appearances, because the first uh, appearance of a Captain Marvel period was in X Men animated series. It was Carol Danvers again as Miss Marvel, and she was featured in the origin of the character Rogue, because <coughs> she's actually a big part of that origin. And then uh, years later, she didn't have another appearance until like 2010, or the Captain Marvel character period didn't have an appearance until 2010, and that was on the short little series called Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, where they featured both the Marvel version and the Carol Danvers version. And of course, also on uh, Avengers Assemble, also on Disney, uh, they featured their character as well. So like the character is just budding in terms of pop, in terms of uh, pop culture influence. So I'm very happy that Captain Marvel is getting over. It's not the version, personally, that I would like to get over, but the character is getting over. So I'm happy about that. Plus, I, I can't lie, I actually do like the Carol Danvers comics because of the fact it does have a military connection that I can really empathize with. Uh, like the woman problems, I can't really, because I'm not a woman. But the actual, but the military shit, I do get and I really do like. So uh, if you ever get a chance to read Captain Marvel comics, it's actually pretty good. Okay. Yeah, so. Well, so let me, let me well, ask, this might be a good time to ask you, but if not, you can push it to the end. But because um, you are again one of the one of the biggest uh, comic book geeks that I know, and I know, I mean, there's I've never brought up a character that you don't just have like volumes and volumes of info on. So the fact mm-hmm. that this is your favorite character just makes me want to know why. Why is it? What is it about this that makes Captain Marvel your favorite? Especially considering how many different weird iterations of the character there's been. I think that's exactly why it's my favorite because of the fact that there have been so many iterations of it. And it's just such a complicated and fascinating history for this character. Also, the main reason that I'm a big fan of the character is because of the fact when I was looking, I, I remember when I first got the comic book of the character, I was actually in Oceanside. Uh, I was just starting in the military. I was at, there's a comic book store right across from the Regal Cinema downtown in Oceanside. And I was looking for something new because I'd seen all the Spider-Mans, I'd seen all the Hulks, I'd seen all the Fantastic Four stuff. I was looking for something different. And right there kind of glaring at me was The Life and Death of Captain Marvel <clears throat> by Jim Starlin. And it showed the Captain Marvel character dead with basically on the lap of a statue of death. And I thought, wow, this is interesting. That's something I've never seen before. And I got it just out of curiosity. And then I started reading. I was like, damn, this is fucking good. And like I said, this is made in the 70s. So like the artwork, you know, the, the cosmic tapestry that they do in terms of the dialogue really sucked me in, man. I was like, damn, this is a really good character. How come I never heard of this character? And then I started doing more research on the character and come to find out that, you know, like 
like I said, the bastard stepchild is not really as invoked as some of the other characters out there that kind of just comes and goes. They have all these different versions just to keep the name alive. And I just the fact that I had to go through all of that, I was like, damn, I'm really like I'm really invested here. I really like this character. Like, and I think another reason is because it is a character that I feel is mine. Whereas all, I have a bunch of friends who are Spider-Man fans, got a bunch of friends who are Hulk fans, got a bunch of friends who are X-Men fans. But this is the one character where like it's it's mine. Like freaking like, you know, this is the one that you know, I do know. When I find rare stuff about it, like I feel like, oh shit, I got some I got some good shit there. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm excited about it because the fact it's, it's it's not a character I have to share with everybody. You feel me? So yeah. uh, and that's another reason I'm really love and intrigued to character. Plus, I'm a big space guy. So Star Trek, Star Wars, Space Ghost, shit like that. I'm all about space. So like he's all his space adventures. I'm like, yeah, this is this is a great character. Well, oh, yeah. I, I, and, and that makes sense because, I mean, again, with your knowing how you are on space, I would have figured you might have ended up in Guardians of the Galaxy more than, more than this. But, I mean, that makes sense. I like Guardians, but not as much as this. Uh, actually, funny enough, um, the book that got me on Guardians was a storyline called Annihilation. But my thing with Guardians is the main character of the Guardians initially was not Star-Lord. It was Nova, which is another character that's coming up. He was the leader in Annihilation. He's the one that kind of put them together. And he's the one that kind of like, in the, in the comic books, Star-Lord was his second in command. Hmm. So uh, he wasn't even the main guy. It was after Annihilation when kind of Nova went his own thing that those, those, those characters came together and became the Guardians of the Galaxy that we know. Uh, and that became a cult favorite. Um, but like I said, if I had to choose between Nova and Star-Lord, I'm choosing Nova. And I still, even, even, even then, like, I felt that Annihilation had they done it, it would have been the perfect storyline to bring back the Marvel version of Captain Marvel. Hmm. So it just like kind of replaced um, Nova with Marvel. Marvel, I think it would have been perfect. Um, but they didn't. So and they, they they always keep teasing this character, bringing them back. And it the character has kind of become like Goku. Kind of uh, the characters kind of become like Goku and Dragon Ball Z, where the character is constantly you know he's like touted to be so powerful, has a great battle, he's killed, and then he comes back like years later. That kind of shit, they, 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 and they just keep repeating the cycle. Like the character has no sense of self-preservation. Okay. Yeah, so it, that's one frustrating thing about it, because they brought him back a bunch of times only for him to be killed. The last time they brought him back was a, a storyline called X-Men versus Avengers. And um, it was in this storyline that they officially named Carol Danvers as Captain Marvel as his successor. Because well, from year, for years on, she had just kind of been his like pseudo girlfriend and like female friend or whatever, etc. Uh, and then finally, he passed away, and they give the title to her. So, uh, but yeah, like, just no sense of self-preservation. It, it's frustrating. I just really, I really hope that one day they finally decide to sit down, buckle down and give this character a, a good story run. Well, that might be something we have to do. <laughs> that's, well, well, I don't want to get into it on here, but that's kind of the basis of Black Star. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's, that's basically where that, that it came from, yeah. Nice, man. Okay, well, that makes sense. I, I, look, I'm, I'm glad, I'm always get, glad to get a better understanding of uh, how you think and, uh, and kind of why you are where you are on this stuff, so. Like I said, I mean, when it comes to comic book stuff, you're my first stop on everything. And so 
when I hear you talk so impassioned about something as you do, um, you know, everything related to Captain Marvel, it makes me go, okay, what is it about this that's got, got your attention over everything else? Yeah, it's a, it's a character I deeply love. It's a character that is very personal to me. And it's a character I will continue to advocate until they actually do them right. So, uh, but I'm, I'm not going to stop advocating. So, I, I think it's a great character. Um, and with that, actually, I, I got to take a little bit of a nap here before I go to work. So, we're going to go ahead and uh, end this particular portion of uh, Dropping That Culture today. We really hope you guys have enjoyed this particular uh, episode. Uh, like I said, it's been informative. Like I said, I'm ed- I like educating AJ on stuff. It's fun. So, I like educated. <laughs> there you go. So uh, we hope you guys have enjoyed it. Hope it's informative to you as well. So this has been Dropping Their Culture with JD and AJ. I'm JD. And I'm AJ. See you guys next time. Peace. Later. Dropping Their Culture. 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 Dropping that coach. 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 Dropping that coach.